You come here unannounced on the day my daughter is to be married. Wait, is this your best godfather bit? No. I trusted you, Nikki. I welcomed you into my home. We broke bread together. Grandmama made you a cannoli. Who's Nikki? My name's not Nikki. The cannoli was delicious, though. And how did you repay my generosity? With a rug made from the butt of a skunk. A skunk butt rug. You disrespected me. You disrespected my grandmama, who I buried in that skunk butt rug. A skunk butt rug sounds and smells awful. But I meant no disrespect. I mean... It's a decent Godfather parody. You're doing great. I told you never to show your face here again, but here you are. Okay, I'm just gonna go. And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan. Hey, welcome to the new year, 2020. That's when this episode is getting recorded, just a few days after the new year. Even though we started the podcast in mid-2019, so the podcast hasn't been around for uh, a year yet. We are ready to continue into 2020 strong with the same quality programming you've enjoyed thus far. Now, it's uh, it's a little early to start talking about this, but I'm pretty excited. So I wanted to go ahead and leave a little taste. One of the new additions to the podcast this year, probably in the next month or so, coming soon, I'll just say that, coming soon, is more uh, an effort for additional collaboration among the guest hosts and uh, all of you listeners out there. So I'm going to, before I record an episode, ask friends and colleagues how they would use an upcoming film. So the collaborators and I, the guest hosts and I, we um, chat a, a month or two out from recording and we choose a film, and then we get it, you know, get the recording date scheduled, such as this evening. And uh, we put it, um, we, we we watch it, we put our notes down on on a you know a shared Google Doc. We have fun with it, and um, uh, that's a great collaborative effort. I want to do more. I want to do more than that. So we have the guest host. We're, I'm not going to change. That format, we're going to have a colleague come on and, and talk about their work, their research, their teaching, and choose a specific film that we can talk about with uh, with respect to psychology. And um, this new edition is just going to be additional voices. And most of those voices will probably be text-based. 
So it'll be me reading those uh, reading those responses out uh, on episodes where we talk about those films. So when I get films going and I have them on the schedule, I'm going to reach out to people and ask them, hey, how would you talk about psychology in this way? I know you may not be on this episode, but man, uh, I really would love to collaborate and contribute to that one. Uh, so that's uh, another way that I'm going to um, incorporate everyone into the podcast as best I can and get more voices because this is real fun and and uh, a lot of people are listening. A lot of people are enjoying it. I'm getting good feedback here and there. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. I really, really, really appreciate all of the feedback, the love, etc. So today's episode not going to be any different from any of the ones that we have uh, done previously. Uh, we're going to be talking about Zootopia. Released in 2016, it's a Disney animated jaunt, uh, not Pixar, just Disney, starring Jason Bateman and Jennifer Goodwin as a fox and a rabbit, respectively. In an animal-based utopia called Zootopia, hence, where carnivores and herbivores, or predators and prey, live in harmony. Judy Hopps, the rabbit, becomes the first rabbit to graduate from the police academy. Roles typically filled by larger mammals or predators. On a routine day, she meets a grifter fox, Nick Wilde, played by Bateman. In a well-done role, I think. I think he did pretty uh, pretty well in that. You know, a typical Jason Bateman. There is intrigue, suspense, and animal-based humor and they all mix really really well with all of the psychology that we are about to discuss my guest host today is dr justine egan kanicki justine is an assistant professor at the community college of rhode island she received her phd uh from the University of Rhode Island in 2016 in behavioral science psychology with concentrations in both multicultural and peace psychology. Mm, that's an interesting one. <laughs> At CCRI, Justine teaches gen psych, social psych, and theories of personality. Justine is passionate about social justice issues, serving on the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee at CCRI, where she has facilitated workshops related to diversity and implicit bias. In her spare time, Justine loves to binge watch shows on various streaming services, samesies, cook <laughs> new recipes with her husband, Zach, and going hiking with her dog, Maddie. Justine, welcome to the program. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you on. So to get us started on your background that relates to Zootopia, the film, what has your research primarily focused on? Yeah, so during my doctoral program, um, my research was really focused on kind of different um, attitude perceptions as it related specifically to violence and nonviolence. Um, in other words, how people can kind of view the same violent act 
as more or less severe and looking at that in a more quantitative kind of way. Um, so I've always had interest in issues of kind of social justice kind of a lens. Um, but in addition to my work as a psychologist, I'm also a certified Kingian nonviolence trainer. Um, and so basically that work um, focuses on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s philosophy for social change and con conflict resolution. So we do trainings, um, and really try to kind of instill this philosophy of nonviolence in people. Um, but we focus on things like empathy, perspective taking. Um, so when we're in a conflict with someone, it's really difficult to really think about um, some of these things, um, to think about someone else's viewpoint. And so we try to really put that as a focal, focal point. Um, at CCRI, like you said, um, I'm really working in this kind of space of trying to have these conversations with people at the college about issues like racism, microaggressions, and the like to kind of just improve our college culture. Um, in my classroom, I dedicate two weeks to discussing the concepts of stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination in my social psychology classroom, because I think in our current social political kind of climate, um, these issues are more relevant than they ever were before. And I think having the space to have those conversations is really important. Um, so I feel like in my work outside of the classroom and both in the classroom, I spent a lot of time in this kind of space, just talking about issues of racism and other types of kind of prejudice and discrimination. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's a lot of stuff. And it's all really <laughs> important stuff. I'm when I read the um, Kingian nonviolence uh, trainer, I was my interest was really piqued about that. And I think that fits perfectly with Zootopia. So I'm really glad that you chose this film to <laughs> um, to have us talk about. So let's pivot now from research and teaching focuses to film as is the nature of the podcast so uh, my questions to you as i ask all of my guest hosts um so what do you love about film why would you combine film or tv with psych in your teaching and what do you want your students other film enthusiasts to know about film in general i mean we're going to specifically talk about zootopia but film in general okay so i mean i just love that films really provide this kind of window right into the human condition um we often may not like look for that in our daily interactions unless you know like us we're psychologists who study this for our, our jobs yeah <laughs> but I think films kind of have this beautiful ability to not only entertain us, but to give us knowledge about our social worlds within a certain time period. We look at films from the past, we look at films today, and they provide this kind of insight into that social world for that time period. Even films that maybe are veering into kind of the fantasy lens or things like that are still giving a kind of commentary on the social period of that time. And so... I combine film and psych in my teaching because it resonates with my students. They think it's, you know, really useful and it res it just, you know, they, they get it. And at the community college, you know, I have both traditional age kind of college students who are fresh out of high school. Sometimes they're high school students. Um, but I've also had non-traditional students and students who are coming from all different walks of life, veterans, um, you know, older students and, I get such a kind of mix of students in the classroom. So being able to kind of use entertainment to kind of transcend some of that gap has been really useful to me as an instructor. Um, and my students, 
you know, I tend to refer to myself as kind of like the example queen in the classroom um, because <laughs> I, I know <laughs> because I'm either kind of providing them with examples related to pop culture or film or asking them to come up with their own because I do think it's a way to take something that seems really complex and kind of bring it down to earth, really. Yeah, and it's something that they probably have uh, experience with because they watch movies and they watch TV so they can they can join you in your court so to speak. Exactly. They feel it's, you know, it's more on their level kind of deal. Exactly. Right. right. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I use a lot of different short clips in my courses because, you know, time is always of the essence when we think about curricular demands in a course. Um, but I try to use a lot of short, cl- short clips and things of that nature. Um, so I had here, I was thinking in my notes, but you know, one of my favorites is you had talked about Mean Girls in one of your episodes. Right. And one of the clips I like to show is the scene with the young woman who states, you know, I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip flops. So I bought army pants and flip flops. Yeah. And really is this demonstration of kind of normative influence and thinking about how, you know, we're so under sway of others because we want to be accepted and we want to be liked. Um, and then I, you know, one one of my most favorites because students laugh so hard every single time I show it is a clip from the water boy. Um, and even though it's an older film and even though some of them may not even seen the film, the clip still resonates with them. Um, it's the medulla umblagata scene where the professor is like the medulla umblagata and Adam Sandler becomes really angry because the professor makes fun of him essentially. And yeah. He, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, a, he's it's a really movie. odd scene and nobody <laughs> refers to it as the medulla oblongata. So <laughs> Exactly. That's the, and that's, but I think it's, a, it's really this kind of like almost like meta way to like show it in social psych during the aggression chapter, because then you're, you know, it's talking about aggression, even not fully correctly and how it's referred to in this context. Yeah. But, at, but at the same time, you're able to kind of use it as an example. I use an example as like as a effective aggression and that kind of, you know, really hostile anger based aggression. But So excellent. Uh, thank you for for um, talking about all of that. So, Justine, as I mentioned, uh, you decided to have us discuss Zootopia, much to my enjoyment. Um, and so, particularly on this choice, what was your reasoning that you could share? Yeah, so I had us, you know, I decided to have us discuss Zootopia because it kind of really packs a punch, right? In terms of providing a really kind of great discussion of these concepts of stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination, um, especially because these are kind of heavy concepts. And so Zootopia is providing yeah. a kind of lighter way to kind of segue into a discussion without remaining in such a heavy space. And I think that's important when we're talking about such heavy concepts like these. And I just kind of want to stop you there for just a second because I think it's worth saying that um, it's pretty, I think, historically indicative um, that Disney and Disney films allow us to have these kinds of conversations. Some of them haven't been great, Dumbo, but recently, I think in the last 30 or 40 years, they've allowed children to approach some of these topics in maybe um, a less threatening way. And my kids love Zootopia, um, so they're like, we want to watch the bunny movie. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. You know, you can learn how, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Some people are different 
and um, their differences should be celebrated. And you know, let's we could take it, take it in in, in that direction. Exactly. And eventually, I eventually I think um, by way of the Disney movie that when they get older, they'll see that that is um, a nice allegory for real life. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like you said, it it not only provides that kind of starting point, but I think also not just, you know, judging a book by its cover, but also just taking a moment to kind of actually understand that if you get to know someone, you'll actually see who they really are and, you know, get that insight into them and how yeah. they're different from, you know, kind of what you might have thought of them previously. Um, so taking that kind of time. Yeah, exactly. So Justine... Should we define those three big concepts first for our listeners who might not be familiar with what stereotyping, prejudice, and discrimination are and how they are separate from each other? For sure, because I think they can be difficult to kind of differentiate when you aren't fully, you know, working in this area or this field. But yeah, so we're talking about stereotypes. We're really talking about these generalizations that we make about entire groups of people, which more often than not are completely inaccurate in nature. when we're talking about prejudice, we're referring to negative attitudes or beliefs about entire groups of people. Um, while discrimination really has to do with the negative actions or kind of behaviors we take against entire groups of people. So, you know, prejudice might be I have a belief. And again, this is a stere- uh, a negative belief and it's a stereotype and it's not accurate. But I may have a belief right. that all Muslims are terrorists. Well, then I may not hire someone who is Muslim because I have this belief. And again, while that right. is an inaccurate stereotype, it may change my behavior of how I treat someone because of it. Exactly. And the one major distinction that I tend to make in my classes, because mm. I'll I'll jump through, I'll especially talk about stereotypes in a non-social class, not, not really prejudice, discrimination. But what I tend to do is focus this on the ABC model, or really what I yep. like to call it, which is the CAB model mm-hmm. because cognitions affect then behavior so as opposed I, I know why abc was chosen because that's our alphabet but really it's the cab because your thoughts come first you assign a value judgment to those thoughts and then you behave based on those attitudes um, exactly so so I, it's the cab model in in my book and i spent a lot more time focusing on the C part, the cognition, because I am a cognitive psychologist, but it is um, it is fun to differentiate all of them and and really show where people's the delineated examples come from, what their thinking turns into uh, affect, which then turns in or an attitude, which then turns into the behavior that they end up doing with the assumptions that they've now made positive or negative. And of course we're going to focus on the negative aspect. We should say that there are positive stereotypes and generally speaking, those are positive in name only. Um, And then you can have a positive affect toward a stereotype, um, which then maybe will make you be nicer to that person. So discrimination on the positive end, but I think for the focus of this discussion, we're going to spend a lot more time, and so does the movie, with the negative aspects of these three, right? For sure. I would also just quickly add is that when we think about even positive stereotypes, 
they tend to be really harmful for the groups that are on the receiving end of those stereotypes more often than not. At least right, which is why yeah. I mentioned is, that they yeah. were positive in name only. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I just wanted to reiterate that point and kind of just, you know, add to that. And- I think what we're both trying to say is <laughs> that we shouldn't stereotype yes. if we can help it. Now, it is a cognitive bias, and just because you know about it, it doesn't mean you're going to stop doing it. But because you know about it, you can at least try to mm-hmm. stop doing it. And we'll come back to the idea of try toward the end of the episode. So stick around. Justine, you had a, uh, a good way of organizing this discussion. And, I, and, and when I came in, into our notes, I, uh, I thought this was a good idea to do it because of how the movie shows us all three. Um, and we're, so we'll, we'll do a chronological analysis. Um, as you've indicated in in our uh, in our note stock here, um, because first we'll get a, a taste of stereotypes, then we'll get a taste of prejudices at the kind of at the same time, but those extend further into the into the meat of the movie, and then um, we'll get a taste of discrimination on uh, quite a few levels, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a clip of the. Before we jump into it, I have a clip of the what I call the stage play prologue. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and play that clip for you. It tells you exactly what has happened in this land of Zootopia from the minds of children. Fear. Treachery. Bloodlust. Thousands of years ago, these were the forces that ruled our world. A world where prey were scared of predators. And predators had an uncontrollable biological urge to maim and maul and... divided in two. Vicious predator or meek prey. But over time, we evolved and moved beyond our primitive savage ways. Now, predator and prey live in harmony. And every young mammal has multitudinous opportunities. Yeah. Okay. So we have Judy. She lives in a uh, herbivorish, uh, uh, kind of farm town called Bunnyboro. Okay, and her goal is to be a police officer, as you uh, heard in the clip. Um, so, Justine, how could we relate that to real life? Yeah. So, you know, the play dialogue kind of states like they've evolved, right? That they have become so evolved, and now anyone can kind of be what they want to be. You know, predator and prey are not at odds. And so what I found interesting about that was, you know, people talk about how in our society we're in a post-racial society or racism is dead. Um, I hear that a lot, especially I'm in the Northeast myself. And so I often will hear those discussions from students or from other colleagues and people. um, And we know from, you know, various research and things of that nature that marginalized groups are groups that are from kind of non-white or lower SES backgrounds. 
begin at different starting points due to historical contexts in our country. Um, when we think about, you know, the institution of slavery, that set up people for years and generations and generations of impoverishment and suffering and, you know, things of that nature. And so this whole idea of, you know, we can be whatever we want to be tends to be an use today. This often we hear, you know, you should lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, but it kind of right. it kind of negates the historical context that marginalizes people or, you know, causes harm to people and that things that might potentially set them back from the time they're born due to no choice of their own, simply of the identity that they are born within, um, you know, simply because of that. And so, you know, I think it's a nice, it's an interesting parallel that, you know, it starts out in this really positive kind of framework of, oh, well, predator and prey are at odds and the world is sunshine and rainbows. Um, but we know as the film continues that it isn't actually that. And so it is a nice kind of insight into how some of the arguments that get told and get said in the world today and really aren't necessarily the reality or the real case, I guess. Yeah. And, and we can say that the main distinction here that, and throughout the, the whole film is that predator and prey coexist. And it's interesting to point out. Um, and this is the one thing that uh, I, uh, I thought when I uh, first saw the film and then rewatched it, uh, with my kids is that the predators are the ones who have to make the change for the society. There's very little change from the praise perspective. Yeah. So who is what when we uh, apply it to it is a, is a fun sort of uh, mental gymnastics exercise. <laughs> uh, if you want to apply the predator prey to real life and who those people might be who have to make the change. We're just going to stick with the prey predator yeah. distinction and the uh, prejudice, the stereotype prejudice and um, discrimination that you get from that. Like, Agreed. Very, very clear distinction between mammals. Yep. Right. I think uh, otherwise we're going <laughs> to just tie ourselves into knots and um, uh, you know, Totally this fair. is the new year. Let's let's not tie ourselves in a knot. Um, so uh, one of the scenes that you pointed out in this early prologue time when Judy is young is her encounter with Gideon, the fox. I'm gonna go ahead and play the clip of her breaking up uh, Gideon being a bully. What are you going to do? Cry? Hey, you heard her. Cut it out. Nice costume, loser. What crazy world are you living in where you think a bunny could be a cop? Kindly return my friend's tickets. Come and get them. But watch out, because I'm a fox. And like you said in your dumb little stage play, us predators used to eat prey, and that killer instinct's still in our dinner. Uh, I'm pretty much sure it's pronounced DNA. Don't tell me what I know, Travis. You don't scare me, Gideon. <gasps> Scared now? Look at her nose twitch. She is scared. Cry, little baby bunny. Cry. Ah, <gasps> oh, you don't know when to quit, do you? <laughs> I 
I want you to remember this moment the next time you think you will ever be anything more than just a stupid carrot farming dumb bunny. What about this scene strikes you um, about our conversation? Yeah, so, I mean, he, Gideon Gray, you know, not only is a larger predator in this scenario, but, you know, he physically assaults Judy by slashing her across the face. And he tells her, you know, you're not going to be anything more than a carrot farming dumb bunny. And he's stereotyping her. He's calling her a dumb bunny. He's treating her horribly. In this case, he literally physically assaults her um, and, you know, discriminating against her because of it. And so he makes this overarching judgment about her being, you know, this weak prey and, you know, brings her down because of it. Yeah, it's it's a really tense scene at the very beginning. And and he cuts open her face. Um, I was the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, man, is she going to have scars when she's older? Mm-hmm. That's what and I she's like going to live with those scars. Luckily, Disney did not put scars on her face. I think that would be a bit uh, unsettling for yeah, children oh my gosh. to have scars on her face. And like her like sadly touching it, remembering that she was assaulted by a predator once. <laughs> um, yeah, that's too But she uses that as resolve. <laughs> I'm Sorry. just imagining her like touching her face and being like, oh, I'm so sad. And it's it's too emotional. I, I can see why Disney did that. <laughs> it's a good thing they didn't, right? Uh so but but Judy uses that moment um as a resolve for her wanting to be um a police officer. And at this point uh in the world building, she would be the first police officer. Um, who is a small bunny, uh, a small mammal, we'll say, um, and specifically, you know, a, a uh, prey, prey, prey. Like there's no, there's no fight in uh, a bunny. Why would a bunny um, ever want to be a police officer? They're not going to carry any weight behind them. And um, so she's at the uh, training thing, and a trainer jumps in and calls her what? She calls her a bunny bumpkin and a carrot face and a farm girl and all these names um, throughout the entire scene. Yeah, awful stuff. I would say that if you try to make the argument that they're trying to be motivating, you watch too much. You watch too many military films. (laughs) I'll say that. That's fair. So Judy succeeds using her not dumb bunny brain and she graduates from the police academy. But there's an asterisk next to her graduation. And what was that? Uh, what was that called? Justine? The mammal inclusion initiative. Yeah. What, what could we relate that to in our world? Yeah. So we can, you know, represent, um, it's really representative of affirmative action. So, you know, which people often yeah. kind of have a negative connotation towards, but, you know, really is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, giving in this case, Judy, a leg up in terms of, actually being able to get accepted into the police force and, you know, where she wouldn't have been previously. Right. And um, she uh, she succeeds, I think, beyond anyone's expectations. I think um, Mm -hmm. the manual inclusion of her class, I think. Right. I think the mammal inclusion initiative um, was sort of a. A publicity stunt by a mayor that kind of just doesn't really know what's going on. Um, and I don't think anybody expected Judy to succeed. And so when she did, then 
you know, they all then had to figure out what to do. And they didn't do much, as we find out, right? <laughs> um, they did not do much. No. So they sort of give a little give a little pat on her back and said uh, good luck and kicked her out. You know? Exactly. See you later. I, I feel that. Uh, uh, yeah. See you later. Uh, you're on your own now. Um, you know, try not to get swallowed up by the big bad uh, uh, city capital. And um, I think that links well to how uh, even affirmative action is uh, portrayed in news reports and blog posts and all of this kind of and, and all of these outlets uh, when in, in, in all reality, it's just trying to give somebody a leg up mm-hmm. and to be equitable as opposed to. Um, you know, being dealt with a dealt with a losing hand. What else happened? Yeah, so this is kind of a really important scene um, with her parents. So she's saying goodbye to her parents. It's a you know yeah. cute, cheerful goodbye, and they're all nervous because you know they're nervous for their daughter. Again, as we said, see you later, off to Zootopia, the big mm-hmm. scary place. Um, and they mm-hmm. talk to her about how foxes are dangerous and they cite the, you know, incident with Gideon Gray and, you know, but she makes a great point at a certain point. She goes, well, he was a jerk who happened to be a fox. I know plenty of bunnies who are jerks. So, you know, her parents were kind of making this generalizing stereotype about all foxes. You need to be afraid of them. And they're scary because they're, you know, in this case, to her parents who are rabbits, they're the out group. They're I don't I don't know these foxes. I don't trust them. They're scary. They're frightening. No, thank you. And they even give her, you know, you got to take fox repellent, take a fox taser. And he like, you know, she's like, I don't need a fox taser. And it's this whole you know, ridiculous kind of scene. But it's, you know, they're really fearful for her because of these kind of beliefs that and, you know, and these generalizations that they've learned throughout their kind of lives about predators, specifically in this case, they're contextualizing within foxes. But yeah. Yeah, um, but I think it's really important that she takes the fox repellent. Yeah. And on her first day on the job, she has a moment where she is uncertain whether or not she should take it with her. And she does. She even has a little holster for it. Oh, yeah. She was prepared. Because there are no guns. (laughs) There are no guns. It's true. But she has this fox repellent on her belt um that's a good point. and uh there's no dialogue with that moment uh she just you just you have to look at her actions and what is being fueled by her stereotypes and her attitudes toward foxes and i think she um well ultimately makes the choice that drives the story <laughs> drives the story yeah. but um she makes a clear um, behavioral decision, just like when a um, person is, and, and generally speaking, a woman is walking uh, along a street and um, finds someone who is appears to be menacing. Um, and generally speaking, they're probably not menacing, um, but they also appear to be a person of color. And that woman will cross the street. I, I, I have to say the woman was white uh, in this example. I've got to say that. Um, 
and she crosses the street. That's a quick behavioral decision based on the information uh, that she had. That uh, and this, it's the same decision that that Judy is making by taking that fox repellent from home to her apartment in Zootopia and to her first. Yeah, and it's a sense of fear. You know, it's it's really rooted in this fear of the unknown, fear of something different. Um, fear of something that is outside of the comfort zone and so you know right she does try to make the best of it but uh ultimately you know it, it shoots her in the foot uh, her her rabbit's foot not so lucky <laughs> well the la- one last thing that i want to uh mention with stereotypes and i think you had some some good examples real life examples here is um Judy says that not everyone conforms to the stereotype. So what would you say about that? Oh, would you want me to share my example that I provided here? (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, so I kind of often, I like to tell my students, you know, when we talk about stereotypes, if you kind of meet one person who doesn't conform to that, then that stereotype essentially breaks. And what I mean by that is, then you can't really use that to apply because you're going to meet that person, you try to use it and it's, it may work, it may apply, but it also probably won't. And so in my own experience, um, I, you know, I'm 30, so I'm a younger looking professor that is walking into the classroom. And Mm -hmm. I tend to explain this um, as an example. Once students actually know me, we're having conversations about this, of the representativeness heuristic, which um, basically have societally kind of accepted representations of people in certain social roles. So when you tell me about you know, the word a librarian, I expect a reserved kind of mousy kind of person, maybe. Um, As my students like to tell me when I ask them, well, what do you expect when a professor walks in the door? They go, well, someone (laughs) who's a lot older than you, typically a white guy. I'm like, okay. And so when I walk in the door, students have to kind of take a second look and go, well, she's walking to the front of the room. So this must be a professor. And it's, and you see the, I see the same faces every semester where it's like, (laughs) is she the I have no idea. And one semester, which is the kind of the funny part of the story is I had a student who literally glared at me because she thought I was a student who was using, we have computers in all the classrooms um, and I was getting set up and who was using the computer before the professor showed up and she's glaring at me and I look at her <laughs> and I go, Hey, and I was being friendly and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm the professor for this course. Right. And she was and you see her like this look of shock on her face. And she goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I go, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that these assumptions, in this case, normally, she she could be correct. You know, you, you know, yeah. most professors are older, maybe people. But sometimes you're going to be wrong. And in this case, this student made an incorrect judgment. And, you know, I didn't care. And I thought it was hysterical. And I share that story often with my students. But it's still an assumption that unfortunately, you you know, that student made and it led to a false judgment. So uh, I thank you for sharing that. I read that and I was like, oh, she has to share that. It's so <laughs> great. And I think I don't think you're the only one in, in our age group, uh, a fe- uh, you know, female professor in our age group. Uh, that has experienced that or has uh, doesn't have a similar story. Oh, I'm um, sure. And it's quite juxtaposed with, um, you know, how your students express what a professor should look like. And you get you you then you pivot to me <laughs> and um, they still don't think that I <laughs> look like a professor. 
Um, okay, so Judy is now in Zootopia, and she is, um, as you said, the, the you know the precinct chairs aren't made for Judy. They're not made for small mammals, because uh, what small mammal can do anything with large mammals? Like, what's a bunny gonna do mm-hmm. to stop a, a polar bear or a um, elephant? You know, it's gonna be quite difficult. Although, uh, mouses, what was I watching earlier today? There was something that I was watching earlier today where uh, a mouse, uh, makes an elephant freak out. And they do. Mythbusters showed that. I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. Um. That is interesting. But, you know, bunny. What's what's a bunny gonna do? (laughs) So, the world isn't built for Judy. Uh, policing isn't built for small mammals. Okay. And so, you know, there's, there are issues to be found. She's immediately made a meter maid. Uh, She's not assigned to any real police work. She's just made a meter maid because the chief does not want her there and wants to make an unbearable situation. So she'll quit. Exactly. And so... Um, there are a few psych concepts uh, at play here. So what's the first uh, psych concept about her being a meter maid? Yeah, so Judy's really experiencing this kind of stereotype threat. She's, you know, worried about conforming to this stereotype. She's a dumb bumpkin bunny from a podunk kind of town. And so she's kind of overcompensating by, I'm going to be you know, gets 200 tickets and, you know, she goes everywhere and goes crazy about it. And she wants to make everyone know she is not a token bunny. Um, And she strives to be the best despite that, but it's, it's this overcompensation because she's so, you know, she's upset that she's a meter maid. Yeah. She, She, and, and rightly so. I I don't, I don't think it's fair at all for her to have been given that. And then uh, later in the film, Nick, the Fox, who is voiced by Jason Bateman again, um, he points out to the chief, like, you guys have been working on this case for two weeks and you gave Judy here 48 hours to figure it out. I mean, what the hell? We still have 10 hours. She's not fired. Exactly. Uh, and so that, you know, the, the chase continues at that point. But, it, but Nick brings up a very good point about how unfairly uh and um unjustly that she's being treated in this in this new role when she should just be treated as a rookie like any other rookie exactly um, she was given none of the resources he points that out too where she's literally doesn't have access to the system or any other resources of having a partner a real partner or anything like that and so he's like you're not helping her here so she still has this time you need to give it to her kind of deal yeah uh-huh and then they um then they solve the case. Hey, ooh, ooh, spoiler alert <laughs> from a Disney movie. They solve the case and everyone lives Surprise. happily ever after. Yeah, as if you didn't weren't going to get that from a Disney movie. Um, but then uh, I think when we meet Nick is a great um, callback to American history and discrimination. Do you want to describe that? I'll p- go ahead and play the scene. Okay. Listen, I don't know what you're doing skulking around during daylight hours, but I don't want any trouble in here. So hit the road. I'm not looking for any trouble either, sir. I simply want to buy a jumbo pop. 
for my little boy. You want the red or the blue, pal? Come on, kid, back up. Listen, buddy, what? There aren't any Fox ice cream joints in your part of town? Uh, no, no, there are. There are. It's just my boy, this goofy little stinker, he loves all things elephant, wants to be one when he grows up. <coughs> Is that adorable? <gasps> Who the heck am I to crush his little dreams, huh? Right? Look, you probably can't read, Fox, but the sign says, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone, so beat it. You're holding up the line. <laughs> Hello? Excuse me. Hey, you're gonna have to wait your turn like everyone else, meter maid. Actually, I'm an officer. Just had a quick question. So, Justine, um, what American history event can we relate to some of the uh, stuff that happened in the... Um, Ice cream bar. Yeah, so I thought back to, you know, when we think about kind of the 60s and kind of old, kind of just kind of ideas of discrimination, of this kind of overt kind of discrimination of you're not welcome here. And he says to him, you know, aren't there any Fox ice cream stores? You don't belong here kind of language. And, you know, African Americans heard that type of language in the 60s at lunch counters and in other public accommodation kind of spaces where, you know, there was segregation and they weren't allowed in certain spaces. Um, You know, luckily people fought for those rights and that, you know, segregation, I mean, that's a whole different thing. But yes, um, you know, we're not to the same level over segregation as we are. You know, we've been in the past, I would say, you know, there's still segregation, but besides that. Yeah, and uh, I, and I go back to what I said about Disney movies, um, giving a little bit of a of a waiting pool yes. show of it, which is the idea that you can show these things to kids, and then when they get older, they'll see those uh, images from Selma or wherever down in the South, and uh, you know, in the nineteen sixties. And they'll see the parallels, or well, you hope this that they'll find those parallels there, uh, because it was done really well. And then Judy comes in and is like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. You know, us small mammals got to stick together, kind of thing. Um, and then she f- realizes that it's all a con, and uh, you know, thinks that Nick isn't the greatest character, and that gets her into trouble. Yeah. And she, I mean, that being said, I think when she first meets him, you know, she goes into it with this really positive kind of feelings towards him. And he kind of, you know, kind of lifts the the veil and she's like, oh, no, like he's actually this con artist who's, you know, scamming me this whole time. So I think it, it did change her perception of him and how, you know, that this viewing him as a con artist maybe changed some of that too, but I agree. I agree with that. Um, so before we move on to, uh, Judy returning, um, to bunny burrow after failure, there is a, there is a historical psychological argument, um, to be found in some of the dialogue. Um, uh, this idea about, biology i think runs deeply through a lot of the psychology of the 20th century 
and um and it has perpetuated uh, a lot of the um prejudice and discrimination so what could you what could you say about that yeah so i mean they you know use this biology argument and that's been an argument as you pointed out that's been used to kind of perpetuate specifically a lot of times racist ideology so as it related to specifically um african-american or black americans um in american history of you know viewing them as different as less intelligent or um you know as vicious or scary in some way and these biological arguments Mm -hmm. you know have been used to kind of distinguish these racial groups and see them as different in some way and that we're different because of our biology but you know we know that race is kind of is the socially constructed concept that you know these were categories that were you know arbitrarily (laughs) created many years ago we look at the census i mean you know, originally the categories we had like three categories, and then we transitioned to these larger where people could actually self-identify. And, you know, and so these mm-hmm. were really socially constructed and that these categories really have no semblance of, you know, real meaning in terms of genetic difference and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so it was really used to retain power specifically by, you know, individuals um, who had power, specifically white individuals in American history um, to hold on to their mm-hmm. power and say, OK, well, if I categorize you as such, I can, you know, give you less, you know, rights and less, you know, opportunity because of that. So, And I could you could also link it to. Uh, some of the stuff that I talk about in history, it's like where Goddard uh, at the beginning of the 20th century um, mm-hmm. had IQ tests for incoming uh, European immigrants. And those folks were white, but a lot of them were also Jewish. And the, the idea among Goddard, uh, who was, uh, you know, a um, he was an influential psychologist at the time. But he was also a eugenicist and he didn't uh, he didn't like Judaism and he thought uh, the Jews that were coming from Europe were less than. And so he wanted to use uh, IQ tests to show that in order to um, reduce their rights, um, put them into groups that were known to be uh not given opportunities. So if they were, they were characterized as an imbecile or something like that, um, they wouldn't get employment places. And so luckily that was dismantled fairly quickly, but there was that he still had his, his impact on immigration uh, at a turn of the 20th century. And I think that fits there with this whole bio- biological Judaism mm-hmm. religion. Um, so, you know, there's no reason why their biology would be any different from any American who was living in America at the time. So I think that fits um, with that. And I really, people are, uh, my students are floored when I, when I talk about Goddard in that way, because I mean, if they've even heard of him, it's only been in the positive light and really it's not positive at all. (laughs) Um, so moving along to okay, so let's jump through. Um, Judy goes back to Bunnyboro because she feels like she failed because she can't find Emmett Otterton and they can't find out who did what to whom um, to make the predators become savage and aggressive, etc. 
Um, and she ends up running into Gideon Gray, and uh, he's a farmer now, and he provides uh, the hops. <laughs> I think now that I say that, he provides the hops. Uh, he provides the family hops with um, with you know pro- uh, produce for their for their um, highway store, I guess, for their produce store and. Gideon says hi to him and um, he apologizes to Judy about what he did when he was a kid and and um, says his behavior isn't indicative of his life now. Right. He says, I am uh, a reformed predator, I suppose would be a good yeah. word reformed predator. i mean i also like that judy's parents talk about how she opened their minds as well so when she sees gideon gray she's like they're oh, really yeah. surprised um or she's really surprised that he's working it's like gideon gray and they're like judy you open our minds like we should give boxes a chance and we should give people a chance and so I thought that was really cool that Judy in this case was kind of a facilitator of that change in her own like family, which was cool. It's 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 nice. It's a bit of uh, it's a bit of secondary heartwarming going on. Yeah, I think it's a comfort. You know, I, I always talk about comfort levels in a lot of the diversity workshops I lead is um, because when we think about some of these assumptions that we make or these kind of quick thinking kind of behaviors we engage in. Um, you know, they're really coming from this place of discomfort, right? And so, um, you know, yeah. just to the, the point of the example you just, you know, said is, you know, that was a, a sense of discomfort of unknown of, I don't know what that looks like. And then once you kind of are faced with it, and right. you actually are in it, then you kind of become more comfortable and you realize you're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what this, you know, what this situation looked like or what that meant. And now I understand. And now I realize I was just kind of overthinking it almost. And so I think a lot of times in these, you know, types of situations that seem really kind of, un- this, you know, uncomfortable or, you know, difficult to deal with. Um, we often, what we do a lot of times I find is we withdraw in my experience um, with talking with people about these things is mm-hmm. we withdraw or we try to, you know, we run, a, we run away in some sort of way because we're afraid. And so I always tell people, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to en- but engage in those conversations, get to know people different than yourselves because you're not going to actually get out of your comfort zone unless you do that. Right. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that brings <laughs> us to a great segue about the last point that I think um, both of us wanted to make, which is Judy's final words to the audience. Uh, and then we find out later that she's actually giving a speech to um, the new graduating class uh, of the police academy. So I'm going to go ahead and play that final clip for everyone. When I was a kid, I thought Zootopia was this perfect place where everyone got along and anyone could be anything turns out real life's a little bit more complicated than a slogan on a bumper sticker real life is messy we all have limitations we all make mistakes which means hey glass half full we all have a lot in common and the more we try to understand one another the more exceptional each of us will be but we have to try 
So no matter what type of animal you are, from the biggest elephant to our first fox, I implore you, try. Try to make the world a better place. Look inside yourself and recognize that change starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with all of us. All right, Justine. Uh, so <laughs> the this uh, no 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 worries. Uh, this the scene uh, the I guess the the words the dialogue that is used um, uh, piqued your interest. So uh, what can we say about this to wrap up? Yeah, so I really love this ending point about how change starts with all of us and that we simply have to try. I think when we are... See, I said <laughs> we were going to come back to try. You did. you did. And I think, you know, <laughs> it's about making an effort. It's about taking a second to not make those assumptions, to try to, you know, really assess the situation, to get to know the person. If it's someone that you don't know from a background you're unfamiliar with or from, you know, an area of the world you're not familiar with or whatever, you know, get to know them. And, you know, rather than withdrawing, like I said before, rather, rather than withdrawing, you know, stepping forward and actually getting to know that person in a way that's really authentic and meaningful. And, you know, we, you know, I think we don't do enough of that in our society. And I think a lot of us are working on trying, but we have to keep encouraging people to try. Try, try, try. Don't listen to yoda at this point you (laughs) definitely can try the representativeness heuristic for stereotyping etc all the the cognitive biases associated with stereotyping with prejudice all of that you know just knowing the biases um is not going to shut them off um you actually have to work on it um you have to uh, understand and be a little bit introspective sometimes and be like, oh, mm, why did I make that thought or why why did I do that thing or why did I uh, crinkle my nose in disgust, etc. You know, you, you got to actually um, have some inward attention sometimes. And, you know, a lot of people just just say try, just just try. Yeah. I think that is going to do it for our discussion of Zootopia. Uh, hey, listener, before we go, just want to make sure that you are liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast. I would really, really love it if you did. Justine would love it if you did. Um, thank you to all of you who are sharing on social media. Uh, I can't see all the shares. Uh, but like I said at the top of the show, I know they're happening because I'm getting feedback uh, here and there. Um, and if you have the opportunity and the ability, please take a look at our Patreon. I'm m- more work is going to be done on that uh, this 2020 calendar year. So stay tuned for for some of those additions. Um, and if you can spare something uh, through that or PayPal um, to keep the podcast going. Uh, we would definitely appreciate that. Thanks to Dr. Justine Egan-Knicki for joining me to discuss Zootopia. Uh, while saying goodbye, Justine, uh, is there anything that you would like to plug? 
No, but, you know, feel free to link them to my departmental page. And thanks for having me. This was awesome. You bet. And I will definitely link them to your departmental page, um, as I do for as many people as I can. So until the next episode, thanks for listening.